Hello, everybody, and welcome to our second episode of Kings in the Fourth. I'm your host, Patrick Gallagher. Joining me today is your co-host, Joey Onatelli. In today's episode, we'll be recapping Super Bowl 52 and why the Eagles walked away with the Lombardi Trophy. Also, we'll be recapping the 2017 NFL season, going over some surprising and disappointing moments of the season. Now sit back, relax, or stand up and get active, whichever you prefer, and enjoy the show. So welcome to Kings in the Fourth. I'm your host, Patrick Gallagher. And I'm Joey Yanatelli. All right, let's talk about the Super Bowl, Joey. Patrick's devastated as a Pats fan. Yes, it sucked. It really <laughs> just did suck. Can I as, just as, say... As an, objective, as an objective observer, not a fan of either team. In fact, my Arizona Cardinals have at times had a rivalry with the Philadelphia Eagles, and I am a big hater of the University of Arizona, of which Big Dick Nick Foles uh, is an alumni. Is that what you're calling him the entire show, Big Dick Nick Foles? Yeah, of course. Okay, so or any, just Big Dick. Nick. So, so anytime, so this is so this is my punishment for the show. Anytime since the Pats lost last night, anytime I talk about Nick Foles, I must refer to him by Big Nick Nick as the rest of Philly Big Dick has Nick. taken as Philly rioted last night. I saw a guy with a Big Dick Nick flag. Like, literally, <laughs> the city of Philadelphia just tore itself apart thanks to Big Dick Nick Foles. <laughs> they would have torn themselves apart if they lost. Yeah. <laughs> so, so with that, let's cover what I think is uh, one of the most fun Super Bowls back and forth start to finish in the last few years. So it really was a good game. It really was. So, um, Joey... Take us through it, because so, Lord so knows I can't. The game starts, and both of the teams have really strong for opening drives, with the exception of the fact that they both have to settle for field goals. But at the start, you could kind of see offense was going to dominate in this game. No defense played whatsoever <laughs> in the game. No, you know what? I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. It, it, it reminded me, like, I know, I know Max Kellerman said something similar, but it really just did remind me of a college football game. The fact that there was just yeah, no offense was. and just big plays all the way down the field. Anything could happen at any time because yeah. someone could screw up on defense. <laughs> well, there, there was that, there was that intercept. We'll, we'll get to the interception yeah. in a second. But well, the, the Eagles' first drive just finished with Nick Foles throwing it away, and the, the Pats. First drive almost ended in an interception, but luckily for them it didn't, so they settled for a field goal. Oh, is that goal. the Jalen Mills yeah. uh, goal line? Yeah. Yeah, it was just the beginning. Uh, then the Eagles get the ball back, and Blunt has a huge run, and I think it was the next play after that, Alshon Jeffery is in the end zone on a huge pass from Big Dick Nick. It was fucking phenomenal. Great catch. Very fun. And then they missed the PAT. <laughs> because that's the kind of game this was, guys. There was no kicking whatsoever in this game. Because no. I think the next drive was the botched Steven, Giskow- Steven Gostowski yeah. kick. Yeah. Where Ryan Allen just can't get the snap. And then Gostowski's in the middle of his kick. And then he has to readjust and then try to kick again. And just nowhere near the uprights. And uh, After just, the, yeah, the first couple the pa- drives. The Pats oh, had so many chances to win this game, and this is why I'm so frustrated. They had so many chances, and they just shit the bed at every single chance they had <laughs> to take the W. It's mind-boggling. You never see this. We, we were just saying last episode that, you know, the Patriots just find a way to win, and this game they we, just found a way to lose at every point. We, yeah, like I, w- I kept saying to myself, I've seen 
seen this movie before, they're gonna come back, and they didn't. Well, they did come back, but then they lost. Anyways, after the first couple drives, uh, pay, uh, Eagles are up nine to three, and a lot of the people were sort of talking about, okay, Philadelphia is off to a hot start, but they had actually left five points on the board at that. So in some ways, if you're an Eagles fan, you're like, we should have 14 points right now. So I actually was not, I mean, I was impressed with the Eagles start, but I certainly thought it could have been better. And by the way, if they don't drop that pick, that's an extra, what, three points? Because the Patriots would not have scored. So Philadelphia gets off to a hot start, but it could be better. And my feeling at that point was like, shit, like if they don't start finding the end zone more consistently and hitting their PATs, then they're going to lose. So the, Pat the Patriots' second drive started with a false start, which was the first offensive penalty called against New England in the entire postseason, which... So we're a well-disciplined team. Sue us. Like, uh, everybody freaks we out. We both know there's holding, there's holding on debatably. Okay, but they didn't call holding for the Eagles last night either. So I, I, I remember, like, strictly uh, just <laughs> multiple times I would say holding, holding, holding. And yeah, but also, that, but, but that you know, but 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 the Patriots were getting away with it too. So it's just the, I didn't think the officiating was the best last night. No, personally. but I don't think, I don't think it determined the outcome of the game. In the end. I, I I I agree with you in that aspect, but I it, it's the Super Bowl. It needs to be the best officiated game of the year, and they just all and the NFL just always picks officiating crews that just. <laughs> oh man. They always pick the worst officiating crews for this. Uh, uh, Brady overthrows a well-covered Hogan, and then on the next play has this huge game to Amendola. The Eagles completely blow the coverage, leaving him completely wide open. Then Hogan takes them to the 17-yard line with a big catch. White starts to move the ball forward on a run. Now it's second down and short. They're nearing the Eagles' 10-yard line. Nobody has a defense at this point is what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> Uh, Brandon Cooks tries to hurdle, oh. and he completely fails. Well, well, also, let's talk about Brandon Cooks yeah. for a second briefly, because Sad. he got knocked out of the game. I would venture to say, since Julian Edelman hasn't played a down this year, that he is our best receiver yeah, on, yeah. The, on the Patriots. Sucks, sucks I need I need to be more objective when I talk for the podcast, because normally I'm talking as a Patriots fan, but... I need to start being more objective, so please excuse me, our many viewers out there. I, I actually wrote in my notes while I was watching the game, Cooks may have just been killed on national TV, end quote. And it's, it's true. It was a, That was a nasty... I mean, maybe that was technically legal, but it, that's kind of the issue. I don't think a hit like that should be legal. And I think the NFL really needs to do a lot over the next offseason to not only define this... the. Uh, runner receiver rule with with a helmet to helmet hit, but they also need to figure out what what's a catch. <laughs> oh, yeah. What is a catch? <laughs> yeah, because we had so many instances this year of no one being able to define what a catch is in big games where defining what a catch matters. When when defining a catch matters, but uh, let's let's get back to this Brandon Cooks thing. So. What what is your view of this hit, Joey? Like, what what do you think the NFL it, should so do about weird. this moving forward? Well, so it, it, what's crazy is like knowing the way that these players are conditioned on how to hit. Which, I mean, anyone who's played football as a kid and watches the game knows like this is not how you're taught to tackle. It's not form tackling. It's not. They don't 
always keep in mind how to prevent injuries with the way that they teach tackling, which is understandable because as much as you kind of hate to admit it, sometimes hitting them hard and hitting them high can be more effective, but it should still be illegal. I can understand, so I can kind of understand why in that moment he had the intuition to make that hit, but it should have been penalized. The point is that it's a fundamental problem in the league. It's the way players are coached to hit, the play, way players are taught to hit, knowing that these hits will be on national television, etc., etc., which is understandable in a lot of ways, too, because a lot of these players are really hard to take down if you just form tackle, and a lot of these defensive players are strong enough to completely lay them out with a big hit. And that's not to say that I don't want there to be any big hits in the NFL because it's part of the fun, but when there's even incidental helmet-to-helmet contact, that needs to be disciplined. Uh, and ideally, I would like to see more form tackling to prevent these kinds of injuries because it was really... It was really ugly. It was really an ugly hit. It was really shitty to see Brandon Cooks go down, especially since he was the Patriots' best receiver going into it. But um, let's move on. So uh, tell us uh, – let's let's move on to the halftime show, Justin Timberlake. I, I didn't watch it. <laughs> exactly. Even ask about it. I didn't watch it either. I'm pretty sure I was just like, oh, I need a break from this awful game. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk – so the Patriots come out and score with Gronkowski right out the bat. Then Philly responds in Philly fashion. Clement, yeah, Clement. It was an 11-play, 85-yard drive past to Corey Clement from Big Dick Nick. Uh, the third quarter was awesome. Third quarter was really fun. Then we saw Chris Hogan immediately respond with a 26-yard touchdown pass from Brady. And, and then... Um, you know, like like we said, there was no defense in this game. The only the only um, there were really only two big defensive plays, and one was the Stephon, uh, was the Deron Harmon interception where Alshon Jeffrey just wasn't able to bring it in, and Deron Harmon gets the ball on the goal line, and then um, let's let's just bring it all the way up to the fourth quarter because they're just going back and forth. The Patriots take the lead. With ten minutes, with a little less, a little less than ten minutes left in the fourth quarter, the score is thirty-three, thirty-two. They hold Philly. They hold Philly, and then come back and sc- um, they hold Philly. Then they get the ball back. They can't do anything with the ball. Then Philly gets the ball, and they get that controversial Zach Ertz play. I don't really think there's much controversy there even as a Pats fan he I, took, I he took a couple steps he was he, a, he was, he was a receiver or he was a runner at that point um I don't think there should be controversy over that Zachard's touchdown where they went up 30 the, the Clement touchdown is debatable I mean but still it's overturn, like why though. why even debate it when the game's over yeah it, it's, it's my opinion but so Philly goes up 38 33. And then I, as a Patriots fan, was just so excited. In fact, Joey and I watched the watched the game for the second half uh, together. And I turned to Joey and I said, "I want Tom Brady to have the ball last. That's oh, the yeah. only thing I want." He did. And Tom Brady gets the ball with a little bit over two minutes, and on second down, strip sack. Uh, strip sack. It's like the when watching on the TV. It was like the ball went through a wormhole. It just like disappeared, and then all of a sudden, the Philly has it. After that, they get a field goal, run out the clock so much that New England, with no timeouts, 
just heaves it downfield. It was pretty you know, close. They, they well, they say it's gonna come down. To, it's gonna come down to Tom Brady. Um, last minute touchdown throw that Philadelphia broke up, but no, like no, that game, the game was over at the strip sack. It really was. Not just the strip sack, but the terrible special teams play on the return where they tried to lateral, and they just, just lost a bunch of yards, and they made it a lot harder for Brady to get to that midfield point where he could. I mean, if they don't, if they don't lose those what ten yards on that play, that's ten yards closer for a hail mary. Like, statistically unlikely that he would have been able to get it. But that's still better than where they were. Yeah, it's just it's just really a shame as a Pats fan. But you know what? Credit, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. This game was won because Doug Peterson came out and coached a phenomenal game. Called a great game as well. Jim Schwartz on the defensive side of the ball. He had an answer. He was playing Malcolm Jenkins on... Um, on the Patriot running backs in the backfield in man coverage because Tom Brady threw for 500 yards. Tom Brady, in my opinion, had the better had the better game as a quarterback. You know, you can you, there's going to be all the memes on the internet for the next Foles few was days a of yeah, Foles was the better <laughs> receiver. Sure, <laughs> Fol, you can Foles can be the better receiver all he wants, but I think Tom Brady was was the better quarterback in this game. But he just got beat because Tom Brady was the only player who I think played. Because, it was just because the, the New England... De- yeah, I just want to bring out a really interesting statistic that I took note of. So Nick Foles in the Super Bowl and Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Let's just compare some stats. Tom Brady, one target, zero receptions, and one drop. <sighs> Nick Foles, one target, one reception, a touchdown, and a Super Bowl win. <laughs> Okay, I wouldn't have guessed it, but you know what? Congratulations to Philly. You guys, after 52 Super Bowls, finally got one. Yeah. And yeah, winning, a, winning a Super Bowl, as, as a Pats fan, winning a Super Bowl is the best thing in the world. Maybe the Cardinals will win one <laughs> someday, uh, our window, Joey. Our window's passed, like, twice. <laughs> and, and so congratulations to Philly and the Philadelphia Eagles and the rest of the Eagles organization because they really fought hard to win this game. And Incredible adversity, great sports story. Exactly. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. And now they get impressive. to tear their city. And now they get to tear their city <laughs> apart. Again, celebrating. If they lost. It would have been gone anyways. So with, now that we've briefly talked about the Super Bowl, I'd like to talk about surprises. We want to recap the NFL and disappointments. Season. Yeah. Of the 2017 NFL season. So we made a list. For this recap of three surprising players and three disappointing players um, of the 2017 season that we just want to briefly talk about. So, my first surprising player is the man that took everybody by storm in the NFL this year, Case Keenum. Mine too. He, uh, why don't you tell us about the journey that Case Keenum's kind of gone through throughout his career and how did he get here to this surprising season? So, he was undrafted in 2013 and ended up starting for Houston that season at some point. Looked pretty promising, but flamed out pretty quickly. He was 0-8 as a starter, returned to a primarily backup role with Houston before being waived for NFL legend and Brady successor Ryan Mallett. Quickly waived by the Rams before playing a single game to make room for Mark Barron, pretty decent defensive player. Then he was picked up by Houston again. Won a couple of games, 2-0 that year, but 
those were the only games he played in. It was kind of at the end of the year. Then the Rams wanted him again, so they traded a seventh-round pick so that he could back up Nick Foles. <laughs> and, and, and just one thing I want to talk about Case Keenum is he went from being basically the person that brought Jared Goff in. He was, he was, he was on the same roster as, as the rookie Jared Goff under coach Jeff Fisher, and he was, he was disappointing that season. I mean, Goff wasn't great either, but how do you lose your starting job to Jared Goff, but what's impressive yeah, about right, him? What's impressive about him losing his starting job to job to Jared Goff is the fact that he signed with Minnesota as a free agent this off season, and just completely took the team to new heights. Especially because Bradford went down in Week One with the knee injury. And as usual. Yes, exactly. It's very, it's a very Bradford thing to go down early in the season with a knee injury, and he comes in and Vikings offensive coordinator Pat Shermer just builds an offense that allows Case Keenum to flourish. These were his stats on the year. So Keenum had a career-high passer rating this year of 98.3. He threw for 325 completions for 3,547 yards, 22 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions. I mean, the fact that Keenum came from... An awful year with the Rams under Jeff Fisher, losing his starting job to, frankly, a disappointing rookie Jared Goff. Then moving on to be, then he was signed as a th- to be a third stringer because we didn't know what Teddy Bridgewater was going to happen with his injury. He came to back up Sam Bradford, and he just has this amazing season on him, and might poss- and the Vikings possibly might use the franchise tag on him this year. Yeah. So, just what a surprising season in general for Keenum. And I never thought Keenum was bad. I remember when he was with Houston, I I remember thinking, like, there's something about him. Like, he's got, like, we could see that talent if you really watched him. And with the Rams, he was 7-7 as a starter. The problem was he threw four picks against the Giants, and then they benched him. They had the number one pick on the roster. He knew he was there until... You know, we oftentimes see, like, week one, the number one pick or a high, highly drafted quarterback doesn't start, but by the end of the season, they are. And that was exactly what happened with Jared Goff, and Case Keenum had the bad end of it, but he's made the most of it and had such an incredible season in Minnesota. And also, just just a little other tad bit of information, I think Keenum holds the NCAA record for yeah, great passing yards and for touchdowns. Houston? Yeah, Five years at Houston, um, at, at uh, University of Houston, and comes into the NFL and undrafted signs with the Texans and who knows what's next for him. So so who was a so who was a surprising player that that you had this season, Joey? Jared Goff. Uh, Goff's turnaround was not in a vacuum. It came with the team. The team had gone from 4 and 12 last year, third in the NFC West to 11 and 5 and winning the NFC West pretty handily. They completely blew out Arizona and Seattle, who are the teams that were supposed to compete for the division title. His completion percentage was 54.6 in 2016. This season, it was 62.1. More improvement was five touchdowns to seven interceptions in 2016 compared to 28 touchdowns and seven interceptions. So he plays eight more games, throws 23 more touchdowns, doesn't throw any more interceptions than he did the season before, cut his interception percentage from 3.5% to to 1.5, more than doubled his touchdown percentage from 2.4 to 5.9, and of course a touchdown percentage is the amount of times you score based off how many throws you have. 
So he's getting almost six touchdowns per 100 passes, which is pretty damn good. And then doubled his QBR from, more than doubled his QBR, from 22.4 to 48.4. His net yard gains per pass attempt jumped from 3.75 to 7.24. And the way that I look at Jared Goff this year is that even though he was the number one pick, even though there were high expectations in his first season, I still think that if the NFL was doing a most improved player award like the NBA, Goff would win. I, I agree, and and just one thing I want to talk about Jared Goff is is the fact that I really entered the year thinking that he was a bust. He was just going to be someone who is just going to be a first pick, like a very Ryan Leaf type player, just someone who is going to be a very uh, who is going to go high in the draft and then fade out because he was just what's the word like oh he was he was he was just scouted too high is and 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 a lot of people just scouted him wrong and so I was not very high on Jared Goff entering the season, but then head coach Sean McVay. Gets his young 32-year-old hands on him (laughs) and just turns him into a Pro Bowl quarterback. Jared Goff went to the Pro Bowl this year. He did. And you can argue that he was the best quarterback in the NFC in that game. And in the last game of last season, you thought they lost 72 yards on sacks in the final game of 2016 against Arizona. They got crushed 44-6. I was watching that game thinking, like, all these years, every single year, you all you heard was the Rams are going to surprise people. The Rams are going to surprise people. The Rams are going to surprise people. This year, the transition from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay seems to have made all the difference. Well, if we, if twenty seventeen taught us, if the twenty seventeen season taught us something, we learned that Jeff Fisher was just a bad coach, and the fact that Sean McVay was just able to come in out of Washington and. Turn this team into an offensive juggernaut, and um, and a lot of that was due to reliance on Todd Gurley, who was the AP Offensive Player of the Year. But you really have to give it to Jared Goff because McVeigh and the Rams front office put receivers, put players around him that was that were going to help Jared Goff. For instance, a Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods came out of nowhere and just upped his production from the past few seasons. And Tyler Higby was a great tight end for for um, Jared Goff as well. So he, he just had the tools this year to be successful, and I think for him to be su- more even more successful going forward, they need to improve that O line. They need to get some more playmakers in the um, at at the position of wide receiver. And I think if the Rams do that they could possibly be the NFC representative for the Super Bowl next year because they do have the tools to be a great team. What's really impressive is that going into this season, you thought the Rams had defensive potential, but it turns out their offense was higher ranked than their defense. I, I had never seen that they they would have an offensive explosion like this. I, I believed in the talent of Gurley. I thought Goff had a bad deal because of how bad his line was, but definitely really impressive that they were able to turn around offensively. Well, what's uh, another player that you had on your list in terms of a player that surprised you? Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about a player that got paid last night, even though uh, he didn't play for the team. He played for the, the beginning of the season. I'd like to talk, talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Jimmy G. I mean, this player didn't really surprise me with his productivity under, with the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan. What was the surprise for me was the fact that New England traded him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know New England went to the Super Bowl and New England has Tom Brady, but Belichick 
pulled off this trade at the end of the day. And Brady isn't getting any younger. And and there have been a lot of rifts, uh, rumors with of rifts within the Patriots organization. And you know the Super Bowl last night. We're we're recording this on a Monday, literally right after the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl last night could have been the final Super Bowl of the Brady Belichick era, possibly. We'll see. And. The fact that they only got a second round pick for him, just just in five games. This is this is all he did in five games. This is all Jimmy Garoppolo did in five games, starting with the 49ers. Not lose. So he didn't lose. First of all, <laughs> um, he had 120 completions, throwing for 1,500 yards, seven touchdowns, and five interceptions. Yeah, you'd like to see the TD interception radio improve ratio improve, but he. Had a passer rating of ninety six point two as well, and went five and zero with the Niners. And you know, this team, this Forty ers team, has so much cap space. And I really want to see what John Lynch, General Manager John Lynch, and Head Coach Kyle Shanahan can cook up over the off season to just let Jimmy G grow as much as possible and have the Niners possibly compete next year in the NFC West. They have. Some of the best, it's new management, but it's already some of the best in the NFL. We think about how they fleeced the Bears in that draft. And the deal made perfect sense. I mean, and it was it was so smart. They were turning down the opportunity to draft a quarterback because they knew it was not the right guy and that they could continue to build their team. And they were not afraid to be trigger happy and go out and get Jimmy G for a second round pick. And it is one of the best moves we've seen in the last couple of years in the NFL. So, um, with that in mind, now that we've talked a little bit about Jimmy G, who is uh, who's your second player that or third player that you had as a surprise? I had Demarcus Lawrence. Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah, well, Demarcus Lawrence was a second round pick in 2014, so it's not like he was an undrafted player like Keenum. In 2015, he had a solid year. Ran eight sacks. Looked like a pretty decent pass rusher, but in 2016, he had a six-game suspension. He was unimpressive. He only had one sack and eight tackles in those nine games. So you thought maybe he'd taken a step back. He was a problematic player. He was causing problems for the team. But in 2017, he recorded 14 and a half sacks, which was tied with Calais Campbell for second. The only player with more than that is Chandler Jones with 17. He had 23 and a half total sacks. In his four seasons, and 14 and a half of them came this year. year. Yeah, four forced fumbles this season. He has seven in his career, 36 tackles, 22 assists. You could argue he's the defensive player of the year. I don't necessarily think so, just because of where his team finished. But he had a great performance in this season, and I, I think Dallas, if there's anything they can look forward to next season, it's that their defense has someone to anchor them finally. I mean that that Dallas team is just in. Uh, we'll we'll talk about Dallas in a second, but Demarcus Lawrence. Here's one thing I'll say about Demarcus Lawrence: is one performance that stuck out for me is I think the time when you and I were watching the Cowboys Cardinals game this year, and D- Lawrence was oh God, just every play, every play hitting Carson Palmer as yeah. hard as he could. <laughs> Cardinals offense knocking line, it like yeah. literally. It's a surprise that Carson Palmer's like bones didn't break with how brittle he well, is. Well, they did like two games. Well, they later. did two games later. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but rip in peace, Carson. But Demarcus Lawrence, he he just seemed. 
uh, to be able to get to the ball handler, to get to the quarterback, no matter what. It didn't matter who you put in front of him. He was going to hit the quarterback at the end of the play. Yeah, you could definitely put people ahead of him in terms of most surprising players, but I didn't expect him to go from one sack in nine games to an elite pass rusher in the league. So that, in that sense, I think he was very surprising. So my third player... Um, this player was really surprising because he literally just came out of nowhere. Kareem Hunt. Oh yeah. Um, you know, while while I uh while I really did stick to like offensive players um that surprised me this year. You know, this dude just really came out of nowhere and made a huge splash. You, you can also make this point about Deshaun Watson, too, but he obviously got injured in October. But Kareem Hunt was just a standout right from the start. You you think back to that Thursday night game against the Patriots where he just comes out and demolishes this New England defense. I mean, he wouldn't be the first to do it this year, but still, he, he set the tone early for the kind of rookie season he was going to have, and... Hunt and Alex Smith for the first few weeks of the season really couldn't be stopped. And and while eventually the Chiefs did, um, the production did drop off after the first month and a half of the season, Hunt still ended the season with the NFL rushing title as a rookie. Yeah. Going up against Todd Gurley. He had thirteen he had one thousand three hundred and twenty seven rushing yards, uh, just twenty two more yards than Gurley for the rushing title. And he also ended the season sixth in touchdowns with um, 11 total touchdowns on the year. And yes, the Chiefs started with a bang and fizzled, but and Hunt's productivity did go did go down along with the teams. But Hunt is just the second rookie to ever eclipse a thousand total yards within his first seven games. The only other rookie that's ever done that is Eric Dickerson. Can I just say and. If you're in the same conversation with Eric Dickerson as a rookie running back who was a third-round pick out of Toledo, that's pretty incredible and really surprising. And that's why he's my third surprising player is because he is now sharing stats with Eric Dickerson when he went in the third round. And you look at Kareem Hunt and David Johnson and... I knew you were going to bring up David Johnson. <laughs> well, because because it's these third-round running backs when you look at... Trent Richardson, you're like NFL teams have to feel like they can wait till the second or third round to grab and, back. And that's back. a trend that I think you're going to start seeing a lot more. Well, well, then you also make those arguments that that players like Todd Gurley and Zeke and Melvin, well, of course, Melvin Gordon of course are great players come out of the first round. I think that goes without saying. But with running backs, you can wait until the third round to nab one. And the first round is really a lot of times where you want to start getting defensive guys. Mm-hmm. I agree. It depends on the position, of course. Sometimes getting Deshaun Watson the right move, but. <laughs> well, you can also you can also look at this um, this trend because you you look at players like Kareem Hunt and and David Johnson, these mid round guys who just come in and have an immediate impact, and you really have to wonder if teams are going to start waiting to draft are going to start to wait to draft running backs in more middle in more middle rounds than higher rounds. So with that in mind, let's move on to some disappointing players. So another disappointing player that I had for the 2017 season was Dak Prescott of the Dallas uh, Cowboys. Uh, Dak had a really, really, really bad sophomore slump. Um, Just to give you a sense of the numbers, um, in 2016 he had 459 attempts, and in 2017 he had 490. So these are the amount of passes that 
Dak took within the given season. In 2016, he had a higher QBR with 104. This year, it was 86.6. He had more completions in 2016 and a fewer amount of attempts than 2017. In 2016, he had four interceptions. And in 2017, he had 13 total interceptions. So he almost, so he more than tripled his interception rate from last year, from last year, which is really disappointing. And then fell short, just short of the number of touchdowns he threw last year. He threw 22 this year when last year he threw 23. Um, I think you can attribute this disappointment to a lot of factors, um, especially the Cowboys during the 2017 offseason downgraded their um, offensive line, that dominant O-line that they had for years uh, during free agency. Also, when Dak was a rookie entering the league, not a lot of teams had film on him, so I think that was really hard to game plan against Dak and why he uh, had that advantage going into games. And then I think you can also attribute it to Zeke's absence this year because Zeke is just that impactful of a player, but obviously he was serving his suspension, and I think Zeke's absence impacted the Cowboys overall. Um, But you got to wonder what's next for the Cowboys because I don't think Jason Garrett's the best coach for them. And you really just have to wonder if Jerry Jones is going to get some uh, new new leadership in that Cowboys locker room uh, because Dak could really use some new leadership because he was really disappointing this year. If we talk about disappointment, someone who I was really struck by their drop-off in production was Amari Cooper, who Oof. I love. He has all the tools to be a top-five NFL receiver, and there have been quotes in his career where Raider fans were arguing that he was, but... Nowadays, I don't think any Raider fans are arguing that, you know. Look, the guy is 6'1", he's 2'10", fast, athletic, he's skilled, good footwork, great burst. He's just wildly inconsistent and has been throughout his three years. He had his worst season to date. Despite grabbing a career-high seven touchdowns, he had a career low in receptions with only 48, which is tied for 79th in the NFL. He was targeted 96 times. He had 48.6 yards per game. That's 50th in the league, 650 yards, 51st in the league. If you contrast that with the season he had beforehand in 2016, he was 8th in the NFL in yards with over 1,153, 10th in yards per game, and 9th in yards after catch. Look, the issue with Amari isn't that he's become a bad receiver. It's that someone who was once considered by all NFL pundits and fans to be a top maybe 15 guy, I guess you would say, in terms of wide receivers, at least 15, statistically top 10, has dropped down to the 50s and 70s in terms of his statistical rankings. He had a stretch, I think, of four or five weeks where he didn't score a single touchdown. You you know what? Yes, Amari Cooper was disappointing, but I want to talk about another Raiders player that was disappointing. <laughs> Derek Carr. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was coming, he, he had an MVP caliber season last year, and um, yes, he was coming off an injury, but all I heard through Raiders training camp was Derek Carr is 100%. Derek Carr is going to be fine. We expect Derek Carr to have an amazing season. No, he did uh, No, he did not. I mean... He played the same number of games as he did in 2016. He played 15 games both this season and last season, and he looked nowhere near as poised as he did last year. His production dropped this season from last season in yards, touchdowns, and he threw 13 picks compared to last year's six. So, again, another another example of a quarterback just doubling his interception rate 
after a year. And I really thought after his insane contract extension, where he was at one point this summer the highest paid player in the league until Matthew Stafford's contract in August, I just really thought that he would answer that big contract with an even bigger season. But I guess between the injured O-line of Oakland and having mediocre coaching from Jack Del Rio and Rio and also Amari Cooper's production never I would say Crabtree was the more prominent receiver in that offense than oh. Cooper which is kind of baffling because Amari Cooper last year looked amazing. Yeah. You know, it it just really coming off that Derek Carr coming off that season where it was really a season where Derek Carr just kind of came out of nowhere. He was MVP. You really thought Oakland might have the tools to walk in to, let, to possibly challenge the Patriots and be the AFC Super and be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. Then Carr gets hurt, and then you thought Carr might come back this year and just explode again, but he just didn't. And that's what's very disappointing about this about his season. I have a former Raider as my second player who really disappointed me. <clears throat> Terrell Pryor. Terrell Pryor's had a really unusual career. If you remember, he was drafted in the supplemental draft after some NCAA violations kicked him out of Ohio State. Came into the league as a quarterback, one of the fastest quarterbacks in the league, maybe the fastest quarterback in the league. Had, I think it was a 96-yard run as quarterback for the Raiders, but eventually we all knew. His only good play for the Raiders. Really? Yeah, his <laughs> only good play as a quarterback. You know, eventually they switched him to wide receiver, and... He has shown some flashes. He showed showed a lot of flashes in Cleveland. Looked like he could be a fantastic NFL wide receiver. But in 2017, he was hurt, and he dropped in production badly. Okay, And, And keep in mind, he's making more money than the rest of the Washington Redskins receiving core combined. All right, this past wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, this past season. <laughs> yeah, this past season, he had nine games played, 20 receptions, 240 yards, and one touchdown. <laughs> Sad. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah. He had, he had a great season on a worse team the year before, and then he goes to Washington, and he's hurt, and he doesn't do anything. So, oh, Fun fact, the Browns tried to reacquire him at the deadline. Of course they did. But but the Browns also <laughs> tried to acquire McCarron at the deadline, and they couldn't even do that, too. But, uh, yeah, just Terrell Pryor, he, I had him on my fantasy team last season, and he was fantastic. He produced. He was. He looked like he could be a good receiver, and he has the build for it, so I, I want to see what happens whenever he comes back and he's a bit more healthy. But... It's going to be interesting to see if Washington even keeps him on the team. He may. I don't think this he will off be. Season. I think he'll he'll be finding a new place, and it's going to suck because I think he signed a one year deal with them because he wanted to wait until this year to see how much money he could get, and now he's going to get nothing. He's going to have to restart that process, have another breakout season, then try to get paid next summer. Well, that'll be Terrell Pryor trying to trust the process there. Wrong sport, but like. <laughs> You said process. So I, I just actually want to, want to move on process. to surprising teams. Actually, I still have one more player okay. to talk about. Okay. So Go this ahead. is going to be... I'm sorry, Falcons fans, but I'm just going to talk a lot of shit this episode. So one surprising player I think that was... Or disappointing player that I think disappointed the entire league was Matt Ryan. Um, you know, just the Falcons overall were a disappointment and... 
yes, you can say that Sarkeesian was the answer, for, was the reason for that, and I talked about that at length last episode um, about the Falcons' problems um, coaching-wise. But the Falcons spent the entire season hungover from the 28-3 debacle, and Matt Ryan is no exception because last year Matt Ryan threw 398 touchdowns and seven interceptions while Kyle Shanahan was his play caller. And this year he threw just 20 touchdowns and 12 interceptions under Steve Sarkeesian. Last year he threw for almost 5,000 yards and this season barely got over 4,000 and almost the exact same amount of attempts as last year. I mean, the Falcons just went from being the best offense in the league to being a middle-of-the-road offense. And Matt Ryan this year looked nowhere as composed as he as he looked last year. And he looked just very meh um, in the postseason. And seemingly every time he was under pressure in those games, he just couldn't complete the throw unless it was a lollipop to Julio Jones. And I think Matt Ryan, it, it, this, is an important, this next season is going to be an important year for the Atlanta Falcons because it could be one of their last years to compete, especially because they kind of have an very an aging defense. Um, you want to see what they do in that line, but I don't know if I necessarily think Dan Quinn's the best coach in the world, and I don't know if they can get back to the Super Bowl. But while we've talked about teams that can't Players. get back to the Super Bowl, oh, yeah, let's talk about teams that surprised us this year mm-hmm. that could possibly get to the Super Bowl next year. Yeah, for me. I don't even need to bring up stats to tell you why Jacksonville was such a surprising team. I expected their defense would be good. They had, you know, so many pass rushers when Calais Campbell signed there. I knew that Saxonville was going to be a thing. I did not expect that they would win even 10 games. I certainly did not expect that we would be watching them in the conference championship game. Now, I don't happen to believe that Jacksonville is some amazing elite team, but they were a really fun team to root for, and they made huge strides, and more importantly, they, I mean, people want to talk about the Buffalo Bills having made the playoffs and how miraculous it is. I think Jacksonville impressed me more, and I think that's a more significant story because you had a roster that no one believed in at the beginning of the season in terms of making the playoffs and a franchise that literally, the Browns are that franchise indisputably now, but there was a period of time when, like, the the shitty team championship game was played between these two teams every season. <laughs> like like whichever like whenever you're trying to make an analogy for something being bad, you oftentimes would cite the Jaguars, or you'd cite those <laughs> awful Thursday night like ten, uh, Tennessee Titans Jaguars. versus the ja- oh. Jaguars. Well, they would this. have them every night, and they'd be in those awful color rush uniforms, and it would you would have nothing else to watch. It's the worst. I couldn't but, get through it. Yeah, boring. But they made such a big improvement with their franchise and almost went to the Super Bowl, which would have been a little weird, but they they got close and they really gave their fans something to root for, so they definitely surprised me this year. And and one team that, that really surprised me this year was a team that also almost made it to the Super Bowl, but not quite. New Orleans! Uh, the Saints are my biggest surprise team because they were not only a dominant offense, which they typically have been under Sean Payton, but due to the rise of this running back duo between Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, and also the resurgence on defense with the rise of these rookie defensive backs and Marcus Williams and Marshawn Lattimore, bolstered by a defensive line led by Cam Jordan. I mean, the only improvement I could see them making off season is with some help in the linebacking core. But I just want to take a minute to talk about this running back duo and the kind of impact that they had. So 
total, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram had a total of 1,852 rushing yards and 20 touchdowns, and 1,242 receiving yards in 139 receptions. And Alvin Kamara had five receiving touchdowns. Mark Ingram didn't have any receiving touchdowns. You basically give them 489 combined touches in the entire season, totaling three th- almost a little over 3,000 yards with 25 touchdowns, averaging 6.3 yards per touch. Per touch. And Drew Brees throws for 4,334 yards, 23 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. This running rack duo allowed Drew Brees to not have to do anything, and Drew Brees just excelled, and that's why they won. And and remember at the beginning of the season, a lot of people thought Drew Brees was going to be heading elsewhere. And I think now he's looking at these running backs and he's like, great, I've got a fallback option, I've got a defense, I've got He doesn't a have to do shit! He can stay, he's, he's not going anywhere. I mean, why would you? You've got a team that's on the cusp of competing with two breakout running back stars because I did not think Mark Ingram was was the type of person to be that could, that could carry a team, but together with Alvin Kamara, this this new rookie that came out of nowhere, he was able to just do some amazing things. And I also just want to briefly talk about the Saints defense because the Saints defense has been the butt of a joke for a number of, of years Ryan. around the league because of Rob Ryan. But the Saints had a severely improved defense in the league. Coming in at 15th in passing yards allowed for game, per game um, and 17th in rushing yards. Yes, that might sound not sound great, but they first 20 interceptions during the year, which is third in the league, only trailing Baltimore and Jacksonville. Uh, and 15th in the league in forced fumbles with 20. Tied for 7th in the league with sa- 42 sacks on the year. Cam Jordan led them with 13. He was obviously a pro bowler. In 2016, they were 27th in the league in forced interceptions with 9 total. And just and the Saints, they're drafting incredibly just... Marcus Williams and Marshawn Lattimore. I know we're going to laugh at Marcus Williams over the offseason because he missed that very simple tackle on Stefan Diggs in that in the divisional game. But Marcus Williams and Marshawn Lattimore combined for nine interceptions on the season, which equals their 2016 total interception rate of the def- of the Saints defense. You really just have to be very hopeful if you're a Saints fan about the coming future. Until... Breeze retires, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, right now they've got a good situation. Another surprising team that I had was the Rams, who we've already talked about, so I don't need to talk about them too much at length, but going from third in the NFC West in front of only the, ter- at the time, terrible San Francisco 49ers coming out, expecting to be third again, expecting to probably win six or seven games and going out and winning 11 games, dominating Seattle. I think they won like, four- they were up 40-something to zero at one point, I think. It was completely dominant and really showed everyone that there's a new sheriff in town and Sean McVay has done an incredible job turned them into a top 10 defense top 10 offense you've seen the big change without Jeff Fisher as coach so it's <laughs> it's immense <laughs> it's immense and uh, I mean they completely threw the I, I hate that they're in LA because the fans don't deserve a good team but it is what it is well and and also I you really just have to wonder what the future of the NFC West is because I feel like next year is a year. Niners Especially, could win it. The Niners could win know. it. Um, if you guys end up, if the if the Cardinals end up signing Kirk Cousins, you guys could be if in If we the, get a veteran, in, yeah. In, in, yeah. Yeah. But we, we know. We currently, or you currently have get, no one under contract for quarterbacks, so <laughs> literally no one. It's There's a lot of questions to be filled, but 
a team that doesn't have a lot of questions to be filled. My surprising team, the Philadelphia Eagles. They deserve. And it. I really, I wrote, I wrote that they were surprising because we were, we originally recorded this to be a part of our first episode, but um, we decided to re-record it and make it a part of a Super Bowl special, but. They won the Super First, I'll just say they won the Super Bowl, which I don't think anybody was expecting. But the Eagles exploded this year thanks to Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. I mean, the theme for the Eagles this year was offense and just kind of let Wentz create magic both in and out of the pocket. And seemingly, Carson Wentz and the entire Eagles offense improved this season. And Jim Schwartz's defense was absolutely fearsome. They forced 35 turnovers on the air, 38 sacks, and Philly seemingly steamrolled every opponent that they won against this year. And all three losses that they had were competitive games. And you really just have to credit Doug Peterson, who... I'm really surprised only got one vote to be coach of the year. I know Sean McVay ended up winning that award, but I think the NFL got that one wrong, and it should be Doug Peterson who led his team with a backup quarterback to a Super Bowl victory. And well, now, but the, well, now, but at the time, but like, no. look, I, I voted Sean McVay as my coach of the year, and I would take that back now because of this incredible feat by Doug Peterson. You know, I wasn't surprised that Philly won the division, but I think. At the beginning of the season, especially with Nick Foles being their quarterback in the postseason, that they would just do this much damage. And you really just have to credit that entire organization and coaching staff for winning them the big game. Which pains me to say. Really pains me Do you want to talk about some disappointing teams? Um, I still have one more team that I'd like to talk about, So, and I'll just talk about them briefly. So the Chargers, they didn't end up in the postseason, but they just looked like one of the most competitive teams at the end of the regular season. This team started out 0-4 and really just looked to sleep all of September, but once October came, they finally started to win. And after eight games, they were 3-5, and and then in the second half of the season, they were 6-2. and and Philip Rivers started to really heat up in the middle of the season, ended with 4,500 yards, and Melvin Gordon had a, um, 1,100 rushing yards. The defense was anchored by Casey Hayward. And Anthony, Anthony Lynn, in my opinion, really kind of, he's a really good game manager. I know at the beginning of the season, all of those uh, those 0-4, they all lost in close games, but he really seems to be able to manage the, gel, the, the, the game well, and he's really built a solid staff around him, and I think the Chargers are going to compete this year, but I also wonder if they're going to look for possibly River, Philip Rivers' successor in the draft this season. They should. I, I agree. I think they should, too. They should start looking because Philip Rivers is not getting any younger. No, so. no. Um, AFC Carson Palmer. So let's talk about some uh, disappointing teams. Seattle, for me. Seattle? Not disappointing on a personal level, of course. Glad to see them lose, but I expected them to at least be in the playoffs. Probably beat Arizona for the division, but they ended up losing to L.A. for the division title. Look, instead of being the competitive, good team that I thought they'd be, they had a terrible offense, with the exception of Wilson, who really showed himself to be an elite quarterback because he made a lot happen with very, very little. The blocking, the offensive line needs to be completely overhauled there. They need a reliable running back. They need to rebuild probably most of that offense, get some more receiving targets. Jimmy Graham is always hurt, so they might need to get some more tight ends. In the final game of the season, they needed two things. One was for them to win at home over Arizona, who was so... Six, six and eight at that point. Six right? and eight, or no, no, seven and eight. Seven it was the last, eight, yeah. last game of the season. So there were seven and eight, 
and they needed the Falcons to lose. Now, they can't control the Falcons game, and the Falcons won. But it's a pretty pathetic turn of events when you're losing to Drew Stanton and you're at home. Yeah. And you kind of... When you're playing for the playoffs. Yeah, they didn't deserve to make the playoffs because of that. They were not that good of a team. They did finish 9-7, and seven, but they were not a particularly great team like I thought they'd be. Um, so a team that disappointed me, um, I've talked a lot of shit about them over the past two episodes, but the Atlanta Falcons, Falcons suffered Super Bowl hangover all year, um, their production dropped on, in special teams, defense, and offense, um, the Falcons finished third in the NFC South, yet they were still the sixth seed in the NFC, so they did make the playoffs, but the Falcons, and the Falcons retained almost every single starter from the Super Bowl roster last year, in fact, even adding to it on the defensive side of the ball with Dontari Poe, and they look nowhere near the thir- the thirteen and three Falcons of twenty sixteen as they finish nine and seven, and at times, especially in the postseason, their only offensive philosophy was just to get the ball to Julio Jones, which you can do a number of times in the game, and Julio's probably going to be going into the Hall of Fame at the end of his career, but you can't have an entire season planned out on just getting the ball to this one really good player, especially when Julio sometimes gets injured in the middle of the season and sits out a few games. So I really just think, and the Falcons also sucked on third down this year, and the defense was just average. It it was just a really disappointing year for the Falcons, even though they made it through the divisional round. They... I, Again, I wrote this at the time of of before the Super Bowl. They lost to Nick Foles, but now the Patriots have lost to big <laughs> Nick Foles in a even bitter, bigger game. But it's just a very disappointing end to a Falcons that had an amazing 2016 season. Just even though they lost in these the Super NFC Bowl. West or NFC teams that go 13 and three always. Suck the next year. Well, like let's you see, water, watch let's, out Philly let's see, and Minnesota. Let's see if Philly has the same thing. So, so another disappointing team that I just want to briefly talk about is uh, the Detroit Lions. Really, they just couldn't get the ball done. They just couldn't seem to create that magic that they had in 2016, where they orchestrated those all those fourth quarter comebacks. But the Lions have Matthew Stafford, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones. Great playmakers, and they just didn't compete. Also, Matthew Stafford was in a division where the primary quarterbacks this year in his other division were Mitch Trubisky, Case Keenum, and Brett Hundley. How do you not win that division? Like, I know Minnesota had the most complete defense in the NFL, but how do you not win that division or even compete within that division? They, they finished ahead of Green Bay, though, didn't they? They did finish ahead okay. of Green Bay. They, 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 they would be in the playoffs if they won the Falcons game in Week 3, which that was the controversial... Con, there was a controversial oh, right. call they that game. On yeah. it's, it's, it's a very Lions thing to just lose on bad officiating. So they just couldn't do anything this year. They were just a mediocre team all across the board. You really thought that Matthew Stafford would break out this year, especially with that big contract that he got, and he just couldn't do it. Uh, He was good, but they really need to get some help, both on the defensive side of the ball and also help help protect Matthew Stafford, because again, he's like Aaron Rodgers. He spent most of the year on the run, 
which and they're paying that offensive line so much too. The year before, he, last season, he was probably like a top five MVP candidate. Yeah, I you could argue that he was an MVP candidate, and and you just really want to. One thing that I really hope for Matthew Stafford because I just really admire him as a player is the is I want to see him just have a Matt Ryan twenty sixteen season, he, season where he just breaks out, go crazy, goes crazy, possibly takes the Lions to the Super Bowl, and I just really really want to see that for Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions because they're just a team that seem to have all the tools but never have a way to ultimately come up with a path to winning a playoff game. So with that in mind, do you want to talk about another disappointing team that you have? Yes, yes. I've trashed a few teams this podcast, none more than the Oakland Raiders. They are also my disappointing team as well. <laughs> like, I expected Oakland to be in the AFC Championship game, uh, maybe even a first-round bye. I thought the addition of Lynch would take some pressure off of Carr and add a running game. Instead, you saw Carr's production drop significantly. And they're in a weak division. I mean, there was a point in the season where we thought, oh my god, the AFC West is so tough, you got three winning teams. And then in the end, Kansas City squeaks in because of their hot start. The Chargers were the best team in that division the last six, five, six weeks. And Oakland was just a disappointing team all season. They, I do think that they can pick things back up. They have the personnel to be able to do it. But going into next year, it's like, is John Gruden going to be able to get it done? And speak, I'm so glad you uttered that name because we have just been dying to talk about John Cruden. Oh my God. And thank the NFL gods for having him come out of the booth and coach this team. And we might possibly... In Vegas. Get hard a hard knock. knock. Oh, please. Hard please, knock. NFL, HBO, if you are listening by some measure, please give us a John Gruden hard knocks. Please. You, you, would, make, you would make your, like, 25 million viewers very happy. <laughs> It would be the most watched Hard Knocks ever. It would be the most entertaining yeah. Hard Knocks. Remember, everybody thought Rex Ryan was an entertaining Hard Knocks coach. How no, do you think no, John no, Gruden no. would be if he was a Hard Knocks coach? We'd be, we'll be very shocked to learn that when he says "Spider White Banana," he just he's literally referring to every play in his playbook. Every play is named <laughs> "Spider White Banana." In all seriousness, though. What kind of impact is John Gruden going to have on this Raiders team? I don't know. I wish I could give you like a nice analysis, but it's so hard to predict because he's been out of the coaching game for so many years. I, I didn't like Del Rio as coach of the team. I think they needed to change, but I think a 10-year a ten year contract for a punchline. <laughs> <laughs> for a dude who was just a color man in the booth for so long. Because he was fun. That's the only reason. I, he, I guess I get it. He won a Super Bowl. You Not even take... Mike Tirico could handle being in the booth next to him. <laughs> no. <laughs> for Four, for what, three, four years until he was out, and now Oakland's just going to attack, handcuff themselves to John Gruden for 10 years? Yeah, let's see how this goes. Uh, you know, we were also growing up when John Gruden won the Super Bowl. I, I don't know. I don't really, I'm not necessarily the most familiar with what it's like to live in a world where he's a coach, but uh, even just on the, the basis of he hasn't coached in over, what, over a decade now or around a decade now? Yeah. I mean,. How can I assume that's going to turn out well? But he's got pretty good personnel, so maybe that'll work turn out fine for him. So we'll see. I mean, I think the place where you're going to see the biggest impact is Derek Carr. 
I think Gruden is very excited that Derek Carr is his quarterback moving forward. But this is a very this is a very tenuous time in Carr's career because he's at an age where he's either about to become a superstar or about to become someone who had potential and fizzled out. He had a superstar kind of very similar to Carson Wentz's season this year, last year. Yeah. It, he had a he had a breakout year and this is very and and ended the season with an injury. So this is a very important time for Derek Carr and John Gruden is really just going to have to do a lot of work to get that team Super Bowl ready and I don't necessarily know if he's up to the challenge for it cuz he's been in the booth for a long time and I don't know what kind of impact you've seen I don't know what kind of impact that's going to have on him as a coach but I don't think it can be a positive one what if one year from now we're talking about him as the coach of the year what if one year Super from Bowl now he's champion. in the Super Bowl <laughs> then then I will take all of this back right now and and, and claim Imagine heresy Matt McGloin is the quarterback oh my god <laughs> I, I don't even think Matt McGloin's on the Raiders is anymore it's EJ Manuel now it's oh, yeah. EJ Manuel who's Derek Carr's backup he's even in the league probably um so I think with that in mind we have done a pretty decent recap of the NFL season. I hope so. So that's for you to decide. Please follow us on Spotify and please like and subscribe, share to your friends. And with that in mind, I'm Patrick Gallagher. I'm Joey Anatelli. And thank you for joining our second episode of Kings in the Fourth.